now we're going to read the teaching text for today, which comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, as well as 26 through 35. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now verse 26 to 35. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it's a privilege to be here together. Um, Yeah, I just want to reiterate the the love and care we feel uh, in this moment for Ukraine. It's been a Seriously, an incredible joy of this year, Artem, to get to know you um, a little bit. 
uh, we're in a men's group with him and, and he's told us some of his story and he's so committed he would sit with his Google Translate out just so that he can keep trying to understand the words that we keep, um, <clears throat> keep throwing out there and uh, his English is getting better and better every time I speak to you, which is phenomenal, uh, although in our life group you might learn some English that's uh, a little bit colorful maybe. Um, <laughs> And uh, just so inspired by your faith, man. Just so inspired by your faith and your family's faith. Uh, I was a little offended, though. He, he was talking about his parents not being able to make the journey because they're, they're a little old and maybe not able to do so. And then when he said how old they were, they were my age. And I was like, whoa. I don't, I don't like that very much. <laughs> but all's good. Um, this is the last uh, Sunday in the season of Epiphany, and Epiphany, just as a recap, comes from this Greek word epiphania, meaning the appearance or the manifestation, and it refers specifically to the manifestation of Christ to the world. That's why we go through this particular season. And it forces us to ask the question, he lived, so What? So what? What does that mean to you and to me? How should we live if that which Jesus did and said was true? What does it mean to us? And um, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, uh, Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. So how... Do we live then in light of Christ's life? We've been answering this question by looking uh, through the book of John, particularly through the New Testament, to see what Jesus does and what he says. And we'll look at this text today and the kind of context within this text. Uh, we see him doing three things that, or that I want to highlight at least today. And uh, this is also what he does throughout his life and the text's the scripture that we have, he demonstrates the kingdom, he declares the kingdom, and he delivers the kingdom to his people. Now, uh, E.B. White, if you've uh, read this little essay slash book of his, his he, he speaks about uh, New York very elegu- eloquently. Uh, this is one little snippet from his book, Here is New York. There are roughly three New Yorks, and he acknowledged that it's Not just three, but he categorizes in these three ways. There's the first. There's first the New York of the man or woman who was born here, who takes the city for granted and accepts its size and turbulence as natural and inevitable. Second, there is the New York of the commuter, the city that is devoured by locusts each day and spat out each night. Third, There is the New York of the person who was born somewhere else and came to New York in quest of something. Commuters give the city its tidal restlessness. Natives give it solidity and continuity, but the settlers give it passion. I have a friend who is a pastor uh, here in Brooklyn, uh, close to where we live, and we live in two different New York's, even though his parish is literally just a stone throw away from where I live. Um, his church is filled with people who have had some of the hardest things you can experience in life, difficult pathways, and he himself identifies uh, as an addict who 
Tomorrow is, I think, uh, if I have my timing correctly, 30 years sober, and he ministers to people uh, like that. I walked through downtown Brooklyn with him once, seeing what he sees, and it was an incredible eye-opening experience. We were supposed to walk and pray, and I confess it was the most interrupted prayer walk that I've ever experienced. There was almost not a block that we could walk and pray where he did not run into somebody who was either homeless or in some kind of dilemma who he called by name and spoke to them and encouraged them and prayed for them and then we would walk off again and he would tell me a little bit of their story preserving their dignity at the same time and we would pray for them. And then we walked past this really beautiful uh, coffee shop that was uh, spectacular, and I invited him in to buy uh, him a cup of coffee, and he was astonished because this coffee shop was the location that he knew historically to be the place where uh, people who are completely down and out, homeless, could be be dropped off. Uh, It was the intake foyer of a homeless shelter and a rehab, and now he looked at it and it was a coffee shop who sold uh, $5 flat whites. I offered him a coffee and he declined because he avoids anything that might be addictive. Just a little conviction there for me too. Um, But he said he'd gladly take a tea. So I said, great, I'll buy you a tea. And I bought him a a, a six and a half dollar tea. Herbal, because it shouldn't have any caffeine in it. And when he received it, it was a cinnamon stick and a slice of lemon with hot water poured over. That was the tea. We laughed. He had a great sense of humor. One Brooklyn pastor's prayer meeting, uh, we sat around a table, uh, him and a number of us, I think Caleb was there that day. And a church planter was planting in Brooklyn Heights and said, um, he made an off-the-cuff, off-hand comment that uh, they're shutting down their efforts during the summer because New Yorkers kind of leave for the summer. And he carried on. And I saw this friend of mine be kind of visibly disturbed or disappointed by this comment because, in essence, none of his people in his church leave New York for the summer. That's not the New York he lives in. And in that comment, though it was not intended to be malicious, he felt like he and his people were invisible to those who lived in a different kind of New York. And I say this just because, firstly, we see the world differently based on where we've come from. And that seems so simple that I don't have to say it, and yet we have to say it. We see the world differently. In recent years, it seems like our differences have resulted in a unifying movement of criticism rather than curiosity filled with kindness. And Caleb spoke uh, to a certain extent last week about how criticism is the thing that unites us these days. Not only do we see the world differently, but we also react differently based on where we are looking from. 
We live differently. We respond differently. And John, in this text and in this whole series uh, that we have been looking at, has been trying to kind of walk us through the neighborhood and give us a different perspective on the events that happened at that time to help us understand and look at it from a a place that can impact our lives and help us answer this question, well then, how should we live if that is true? What should we do? And he shows us Jesus and he gets us to see something that leaves us asking ourselves a number of questions. And to to understand chapter 6 and to look at it from this perspective, we we have to understand that this this context, this this series of events that happens that we kind of skipped over in the teaching text, uh, happens within a context where Jesus in chapter 5 referred to Moses, he says, do not think, these are the last verses before our text begins, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, there is one who accuses you, Moses, whom you have, on whom you have set your hope, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me also, for he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Then, after this, at the end of our text, he says to them, Truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And so there is this this beautiful context that he's he's perpetually drawing us back to, and that is uh, drawing us to this idea that his life and his ministry was a parallel, a, a kind of a visual, a symbol of the exodus. The exodus was God's people being delivered, ultimately, from the slavery that they found themselves under, from oppressive rulers. And Jesus here kind of symbolizes the same thing. He draws a parallel to the work of Moses. And we remember that uh, the, the Jewish people, Jewish families, Jewish children were raised on the accounts of the Exodus. Their stories, their cultural experience was filled with this is who God has been for us. This is who we are as His people. Look at what they have done. And if you've, uh, God has done for us, and if you've participated in the Passover meal uh, in any kind of traditional way, you would know that it's, it's far more than just a lamb being slaughtered, that everything has a symbol and points to something and tells the story of God's rescuing Israel, particularly with the emphasis on two uh, events. The first was God's supernatural provision of food. And the second was His overcoming supernaturally this thing of water. <laughs> Through the, through the sea, rescued God's power over, over water as the sovereign God. And in this text, and we left out the section, but I need to highlight it. Jesus feeds 5,000 men. In other words, children and, and, and women added to that was way, way, way more than 5,000, firstly. Then the very next thing that happens is he crosses, he walks on water, then like in the middle of that. Then the people follow him, and they've eaten the bread. They wondered, how did you cross over so quickly? What happened? How did you do that? We're here. And they they realize something very, very significant had happened. And then they start asking him questions, and he says to them, I am the bread of life. 
And the sequence of events matter because it follows the pattern and the journey of everything that they have been taught as part of the Jewish people. That God provides supernatural sustenance. That he has power over the elements. That he walked, that he walked on water. That he delivered them from the seas. And that uh, th- they definitely still seek deliverance from an oppressive rule. And in some sense, the Exodus does exactly the same thing. It demonstrates his love for his people. It declares his truth, and it delivers his people from the oppression. And in John 6, the same pattern happens, and that's really important. It's important that these weren't vague kind of hints or rumors that Jesus was trying to have them decipher. They were overt references to the history that these people held very dear. And particularly as it relates to bread, because he ends this, this particular section saying, I am the bread of life. There are a few things that we can understand about bread and what that symbolizes in this text and in Scripture, because it's far more than just an actual bread. It, it refers to like the sustenance. Bread is often used as a, as a word in, in, in Scripture for the food that is provided for us for our sustenance. It also refers to bread, which is the staple, the thing that they would eat every day. In our, our day, that's uh, maybe a little bit different. You would have, you would have heard this, but to them, uh, gluten was not a threat. And I heard, uh, I actually, I read somewhere that um, Californians pretend to have gluten allergies and New Yorkers pretend we don't. But bread was not an optional side when they got to a restaurant that was, oh, it's kind of nice if they offer you bread and butter before the actual meal comes. That is not the kind of bread that is referred to here. Bread here uh, was definitely not optional. It was firstly absolutely essential for life. When bread is mentioned in the text, it is referred to as the the. the the basic essential for sustaining life. Firstly. Secondly, uh, it wasn't just essential, but it was communal. The act of sharing bread was the act of inviting people into intimate relationship. It wasn't just, oh, let's go have a chit-chat or let's catch up. It was genuine invitation into communal life. It was an act of welcome. I will share my bread with you meant I will share my life with you. So it was intimate. It was inclusive. It was welcoming. It was communal. Next, it wasn't just that, but every time that bread or meals were shared, it was an act that was combined with, intertwined with, and inseparable from gratitude. The act of sharing bread and meeting together around a table was connected to the act of being grateful. And therefore that overflows in that sharing bread was also an act of worship because that gratitude wasn't just for kind of a nebulous human, oh, I'm so grateful, what a grateful, I love living gratefully. It was, I am grateful that 
the sustainer of all things is still taking care of us. Every meal, a sign, a symbol for these four things. It was essential, it was communal, it was grateful, and it was worshipful. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's being incredibly generous with that statement. He is saying that he is the source of the very essence of life that we need. He is not just saying he is the source of the essence of life. He is saying that we, through this act, are welcomed into his family. Because it was an act of inclusion and an act of welcome. He is inviting us into the gratitude that comes from God sustaining us. And he was inviting us to participate in true worship. The worship of the one true God. So, if you are like me and you get to the moment in communion here on a Sunday and you hold within your hands this glorious little thing that I choke on every Sunday, I hope that somehow the understanding of Jesus' invitation today is please look beyond this. Look to the meal that he is inviting us to week after week. And the story he is inviting us to be immersed in week after week because every day we are immersed in a worldview that contradicts what John and Jesus is trying to invite us into. Jesus says our need for actual bread to sustain our physical beings pales in comparison to our need for him. And he offers the ultimate solution. So firstly, he demonstrates the kingdom. He connects the dots for them. They realize how insufficient they are for the moment that they're in. His disciples are there, and there are 5,000 multiplied people sitting there hungry. And they are absolutely perplexed. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Jesus is not trying to embarrass them. He is trying to bring an awareness to them. An awareness of what the kingdom of God is like, an awareness of of their insufficiency, so that they might trust Him. He wants them to know that they are in very capable hands. And as the story unfolds, as His life displays the great I am-ness of who He is, and He's about to say, I am the bread of life, He's inviting them to understand it more through this act of physical provision. And this is important because we sometimes mistake or confuse God's physical provision for the ultimate provision of deliverance that He has for us. And when we equate physical provision with what He is ultimately rescuing us from or providing for us, 
we leave ourselves open to firstly hope in the wrong thing, to hope in the gifts rather than the giver, to rely on the temporal instead of the eternal, and we set ourselves up for a great disappointment because anything that is just a sign that God uses to point us in the right direction, that sign itself is going to fail us. And this story is all about that. He is pointing out to his people, to the Jewish people, he is saying, you were fed in the desert and you were delivered from Pharaoh. And here you are, hungry and under Roman oppression. And yet, their question to him was, give us more signs. And Jesus is going, you don't get it. The signs don't save you. Come to me, for I am the bread of life. Now, this is an awkward thing to say because you kind of need to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is disinterested in providing for our physical need. In fact, this very progress of what happens here is him declaring, I really care for your hunger. I really care that you're taken care of. I care that you're provided for. But I want you to know, every day that I give you your daily bread, I am also holding out to you the eternal, sustaining bread of life. I am He, and you can have so much more than, if you, than just physical bread every day. And there's this beautiful, fine balance, because some of us, including myself, I confess, I equate my spirituality's efficacy, if I can call it that, to how many prayers God is answering of changing my physical circumstances. And in my head, I have this little equation. It's like, oh, God has still not provided for this. He has still not done this. And I'm still lacking here. And I'm still lacking here. And the the people of God become this, this kind of parable for us. He can provide in the desert for you for 40 years, and He can save you from Egypt, and a number of years later, you can still be under a different kind of oppression. And Jesus comes and says, I'm changing the game. I want you to understand that you do not have to be subject to the tyranny of these physical things that rule over your life. God says, I am sufficient and I will provide sufficiently and abundantly. One author I wrote uh, beautifully, uh, I read, beautifully wrote about a trip to a monastery that they had uh, and they were a little skeptical about going to this monastery. When they came, uh, when they arrived at the the monastery, the the monk said to to them, uh, during your stay here, please... Uh, if you find you need anything, please come and talk to us so that we can tell you how to do without it. And I think there is something about God's provision that is abundant. It's, it's not just sufficient. It is abundant. He cares. But sometimes His provision isn't always, and, and this is where my heart struggles, uh, with the very particular physical uh, provision. Sometimes he wants to 
um, supply for us an opportunity to, to rightly order our desires. To learn the freedom of being able to do without whatever the thing is that we name. Now, it's confusing because we, we don't know the mind of God and we don't know what He's up to. And often, it's more like we can look back and see what He's doing rather than look forward and see what He's doing. But the one thing Jesus is absolutely saying here is His provision will always be sufficient. It might be the grace to know how to do without that He is providing But the way that we access that provision is not by looking for more signs. It is by coming to Him. And so Jesus declares in verse 26, Very truly I tell you, uh, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I feel like sometimes my faith runs the hamster wheel of seeking from God food that spoils. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God then requires? Jesus answered, the work, God, work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. What a freeing statement. Look, you can't do what you need to do to provide for all these people. The, the lack you feel for even providing for your family, the lack you feel that you're, you're asking me for, for more signs. What is it that we're then supposed to do to achieve this? Well, you need to believe that I am sufficient, that God cares so much for you that he sends you sufficiency. What sign? They still don't get it. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Jesus is telling them, the signs you have received so far are are insufficient to be the provision. I am the provision. And then they go, okay, what sign are you going to give us to, to, to prove this? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Temporary solutions that we put our heart in will always let us down. Jesus ultimately promises and delivers his people and delivers the kingdom. They wanted signs. And in our city, opportunities are everywhere. What is it that we pursue? What is it that we feel like will be the answers to the lack that we feel? There are loads. I hear this and I see it. There is so much money in New York. Yeah, but David, it's not in my bank account. This is the city of dreams or the city where dreams come to die. Yeah. 
I see this sometimes very uh, acutely regarding church. Oh, man, the community here is so amazing. I love being part of this church. If you wait just a little while, one, the community will disappoint, and two, they'll move away. They'll leave. And so the community will be very different in two years from now than it is right now, so don't get your hopes up. Or, I just love the worship here. It's just kind of like just how I like it. Yeah, and then Michael gets a gig on Broadway, and he's not up there anymore. And it's not who you want to be up there, and then you've got to deal with it. Or preaching, Caleb is eloquent and he can put all these things together. I can just like sit for, for all of the 75 minutes that he preaches. <laughs> easily, just easily. Doesn't feel long at all. Just kidding. Oh, but then there's a guy that gets up there and he's got a different accent and, and does it differently and you just got to put up with it. See... He warns, Jesus warns these people that they are misplacing their reliance on religion. He's saying the religion that you're practicing is not going to provide what you need. God uses all kinds of things. And my goodness, He uses the church. It has been the greatest gift. But if you misplace your final hope on the church and not on Jesus, we'll be, we're going to be sorely disappointed. And Jesus warns, come to me. Don't come to Moses. Don't come to all of these signs and these promises. Come to me. And so the questions I want to ask, and they're not wrong questions, so when you answer this in your head, don't feel guilty. That's not the point. The point is to identify vulnerabilities, and I'll explain it quickly. I'm going to ask these questions, and you're going to think about this maybe today, maybe later on. Hopefully, you, you make some time to do so. But if I ask, what drives you? What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Whatever you answer to these questions, just kind of keep them in, in the back of your head. What hopes do you have? Or uh, I can say it differently. Uh, if I say, life will be better if or when... Fill in the blank. Just fill those things in. I've got so many of those I, I, I can do. Again, your answers don't mean they're wrong or bad. They expose the vulnerabilities of where we are placing, where, where the temptation is to place our hope for joy, for satisfaction. Whatever your answer is to this question, what drives you, what motivates you, those are good things. But if they become the sustaining factors of your life, if they are the places where we put our hope, we expose ourselves to be vulnerable to great disappointment. Unless we ultimately place our hope in the one who is the bread of life. Caleb said last week, he said, whatever you give your time, your attention, your affection, your love to will shape you and affect your life. And God says that he is the only thing that can bear the weight of your souls, your deepest affections, the greatest hope and expectation that you have, the longing and the promises 
place it on anything else, even the good things, you'll not only crush those good things, but you'll find yourself deeply unsatisfied at the end of it all. When his kingdom is the primal pursuit of our hearts, our lives, our attention, the other things will find their rightly ordered place and be the blessing that God intends them to be to us. So Epiphany asks the question, how then shall we live? And as we prepare for communion that we'll take together right now, I'm going to read that quote from C.S. Lewis again in one other. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. How then shall we live? Todd Hunter said this, The kind of people we want to be are those who believe the good news of Jesus so much that we actually order our lives around it. Our lives look differently. What I give my resources, my time, my attention to would be different. And Jesus' invitation is so beautiful today because it is going to be summed up in this meal that he invites us to. He invites us to trust in him because he's the essence of life and he gives us the very essential provision and sustenance that we need. But it's not just a provision for us. It is an invitation to belong in his family. It's an invitation, a welcome to every single one of us to be a part of his family. It is also an invitation to be grateful and to worship him and him alone for the good kindness that he has shown us. And so as we, as we take this today, uh, it might be a little bit of a discipline, but I want you to think of those four things. Think of how God provides and becomes what we need for you in the moment that you're in in life. Think of the welcome that He has given us into His family. And secondly, think of our commissioning as the church to be the welcoming community for our city, for our neighborhood. This isn't just a welcome so we can experience it. This is a commissioning that we do the same as he did for us. Church, our calling is to be the most hospitable people in the city. To see people, to notice them, to welcome them, not just to this meal, but meals around our table as well, at home. Come with gratitude today. Think of just how, what, what can you be grateful for in this moment where the meal calls us to a place of gratitude and find yourself at the feet of the living God, worshipful, thankful. Would you stand with me as we step into this moment? Right at the end of this text, there are two responses that uh, these people who have been fed by him 
then are confused by how he got to the other side of the water so quickly, and then they ask him about the signs. These same people go on this journey with Jesus. And what ends up happening is Jesus says something, I am the bread of life, and they're quite offended by it. And and it says they just left him because he wouldn't give them the temporary things that they believed would solve their problems. But he was committed to giving them that which truly satisfies. And they were offended by that. And our hearts are in this place today, always, every day, where we get to choose whether we are willing to trust him. And then his disciples say this thing that's one of my favorite parts of Scripture where, he's, where they say, he says, will you, are you going to leave too? And they say, where will we go for you have the words of life? And church, today this meal is the very sign, the symbol given to us that Jesus wants to speak the words of life to you. And so as we take that, ask God to speak to you. All of those things that that, that you want to be grateful for, mention it to Him, invite Him into the moment. But then we're going to also just give an opportunity, uh, just after we've taken this, there will be people out in front here. And maybe you just need some tangible person that can pray with you because you need to hear the voice of God. You need to get that revelation, that epiphany, that where will we go, Jesus, because you have the words of life. If that's you, please just feel free to come and receive uh, prayer from somebody who wants to pray with you. So as we, as we take this, I'm going to read Jesus' words in this very text. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God, we come to you and we take this bread and this cup. We confess it's just a sign. Our hope is not in this moment, definitely not in this physical experience. Our hope is in what this points to, and it is that you have been sufficient for us, and you have never not been sufficient. And we throw ourselves at your mercy again today, saying we rely on your sacrifice for our hope. We trust that you will provide for our physical needs and that through that we will just rely more and more on you outside of our circumstances, God. Lead us to the bread of life. Church, receive his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Just let's respond in, in worship and in prayer. If you need prayer, please, we, we, we love praying with people that they may experience God in that way.